The end of C.S. Lewis's wonderful little book, The Great Divorce, there's a scene in which a character who is fashioned after Lewis himself, a character who, given the story's conceit, has gotten a sneak peek into heaven, there's a scene in this book in which Lewis's character in heaven suddenly sees a woman walking past him being trailed by cheering animals. And not only are the animals cheering for her in this scene, but so too are the trees clapping for her and the birds singing for her. In other words, as this woman walks by, all of heaven is applauding her. It's a remarkable sight that leads Lewis's character to turn to his guide and say, this must be a woman of great importance. To which the guide responds, yes, she is. But she's someone you've never heard of because fame here in heaven is different than fame on earth. Upon hearing this, Lewis's character looks at the guide strangely, uncomprehendingly, and thus the guide elaborates, saying, You see, on earth, she was the kind of person to whom everyone became a son or daughter. Even the birds and the beasts of the air that came near her had a place in her love. You see, the guide goes on, in her presence, everyone became more fully themselves because the abundance of love she had in Christ flowed over into them. Now, you all know how much I love C.S. Lewis. But of all the Lewis books, of all the Lewis quotes, of all the Lewis ideas, this one just might be my favorite. As I believe it to be a beautiful window into the soul-forming upward call of Christian discipleship. In her presence, everyone became more fully themselves. Is that not beautiful? In her presence, everyone became more fully themselves. Yes, it is beautiful. But what does it mean? What does it mean to say that in her presence, everyone became more fully themselves? Well, that is the question this sermon will try to answer. But in order to best approach that question, we need to first turn to today's gospel lesson. Here in Luke's gospel, Jesus has been invited to a dinner at a Pharisee's house. And instead of doing that which is customary, that is, washing his hands before sitting down to dinner, he instead sits down and just begins eating. See, COVID-19 was not going around Galilee at the time. Well, this move scandalizes the Pharisees. Eat without washing? How dirty. How vulgar. So they question him about it. 
And if we listen closely to the text, the way Luke narrates this moment, we can almost hear their smug condescension as they do. Hmm, interesting. Tell us, Rabbi, we couldn't help but notice that you didn't wash your hands before you ate. Tell us about that. Well, Jesus isn't having it. It's not that Jesus doesn't realize that he is breaching a social moray. It's that he doesn't really care. And so he responds saying, you Pharisees, you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You are clean on the outside, he tells them, but inside you are full of wickedness. It's probably not the best way to show gratitude for being invited to a dinner party. But even after that pleasantry, Jesus isn't quite finished. He goes on saying, And so woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and herbs of all kinds, but you neglect justice and the love of God. He comes off mighty combative in this passage. And so we, self-identifying Jesus people, hear this story and we think, get them, Jesus. Self-righteous, pretentious Pharisees, where do they get off? At least that's how I always read this story. That is until I read the following lines from a Gwendolyn Brooks poem years ago and realized that in fact I'm a lot like them. It's a poem called Lovers of the Poor, and it goes like this. The ladies from the Ladies' Betterment League arrive in the late afternoon. Their guild is giving money to the poor, to the worthy poor, the very, very worthy and altogether beautiful poor. Oh, but it's also bad when they arrive, and entirely too much for them. The stench the darkness. They've never seen such a make-a-do-ness as newspaper rugs before. And here's a scene for you. The ladies look in horror behind a substantial woman, all her tumbling children, quilts dragged to the floor behind her. Well, the ladies from the Ladies' Betterment League agree it would be better to help at another house. Better presently to get away. Perhaps the money can be posted. Perhaps they may choose another slum, some only half unhappy home. Yes. And so keeping their scented bodies in the center of the hall, allowing their lovely skirts to graze no wall, they leave at what they can manage of a canter, and resuming all the clues of what they were, they try to avoid inhaling the laden air. End quote. This is a challenging poem. And when I first read it, it cut me to the core. Because if I'm being honest, I resonate far more than I'd care to admit with the ladies of the Ladies' Betterment League. Wanting to give, 
wanting to serve, wanting to be charitable on my terms, wanting to be selfless, if only someone will commend my selflessness, wanting to serve humanity, that is, until faced with the realities of what serving humanity actually entails. Does this resonate with anyone else? Just me. Well, if so, let me try this one on for you. Perhaps an even more apt description of this very human dilemma. This one comes from Fyodor Dostoevsky's The Brothers Karamazov. It's a passage I've shared with you before. And I promise it's the last work of literature that I'm going to quote today. This is a scene in that novel where a woman has confronted an elderly, wise priest about the internal conflict she feels, about wanting to serve her neighbors, wanting to serve humanity, while knowing she is an inherently selfish person. You see, she explains, I so love humanity that I often dream of forsaking all that I have and serving humanity by becoming a nun. But then I ask myself, could I endure such a life for long? That, she says, is the chief question. That's my most agonizing question. I shut my eyes and I ask myself, would you persevere long on that path? And if the patient whose wounds you are washing did not meet you with gratitude, but worried you with his whims, without valuing or even remarking about your charitable services, if he began complaining to you or about you, which often happens, well, what then? Would you persevere in your love or not? And do you know, she concludes, I came with horror to the conclusion that if anything could dissipate my love to humanity, it would be ingratitude. In short, I am a hired servant. I expect my payment at once. That is love with love. Otherwise, I am incapable of loving anyone. This, too, is a brutally incisive passage. And like the Gwendolyn Brooks poem I read you, this, too, is chocked full of words that are deeply challenging. Because these words ask of us a very important question. Not do we serve, not do we give, not do we love, but why? Why do we serve? Why do we give? Why do we love? It's a question we'd all do well to consider. Because our answer to this question, according to Jesus, gives us a window into the very depths of ourselves. 
And that leads us back to Jesus in that dinner party. In this scene, Jesus is criticized for not washing his hands before he eats. A criticism to which he responds by saying that the Pharisees concern themselves only with what's on the outside while having no real concern for the cleanliness or lack thereof on the inside. Oh, you care about how you look, Jesus is saying. You care that people think you're moral and righteous. You care that people think that you're loving and just and compassionate. You pray long prayers at banquets and make a show of charity in the streets. You even invite dirty preachers like myself to your dinner parties to show how welcoming and how open-armed you are. But all the while, the supposed love and justice and compassion you give being given on your own terms. But let the slightest discomfort set in, and at once your agenda is exposed for what it really is, Jesus is saying, self-love and the desire to be admired and applauded. And then lowering the boom as if that wasn't enough, Jesus says, But did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? Therefore, give of that which is from within, he says, and then everything will be clean for you, not just the outside. In other words, not just the appearance. Well, that leads us finally back to where we started which is with the woman from C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce. As you'll recall, as Lewis's character watches this woman pass by, he sees all of heaven applauding her. And all of heaven is applauding her, Lewis's guide tells him, because, quote, in her presence, everyone became more fully themselves. And this was so, Lewis's guide goes on, because, quote, the abundance of love she had in Christ flowed over into everyone and everything else. The point of this sermon, this state of being, This condition, as illustrated by Lewis's fictional woman, this condition of love and light generating from the very depths of ourselves and flowing over into others, this state of being is precisely what Jesus is calling the Pharisees and with the Pharisees precisely that which Jesus is calling us to in this passage. This is what Jesus in this passage is telling the Pharisees that they don't yet have. This is what Jesus is telling us throughout the Gospels that we can have. In fact, this is what Jesus is telling us throughout the Gospels that we as his disciples must 
have. That our discipleship must be more than just appearing outwardly as kind and humble and charitable to those looking on. That far more important than that, we must cultivate the temperament and the disposition and the character to actually be those things on the inside. That as his disciples, we must be ones from whom love and joy and peace and patience emanate from our every action. That as his disciples, we must be ones in whom goodness and generosity inspire our every word. That as his disciples, we must be ones whose every response, every reaction bespeaks kindness and generosity and self-control. In a word, Jesus is telling us here that as his disciples, we must be vessels from whom the fruits of the Spirit flow and flow from the inside out. So would then as his disciples, that we'd learn to distinguish in ourselves that which flows from the inside out from that which is merely surface? Would that we'd learn to distinguish in ourselves a righteousness like that of the Pharisees from the true righteousness of Jesus the Christ? Would that we'd learn to distinguish in ourselves the other's expanding nature of the woman from Lewis's story from the self-serving natures of the ladies from the Ladies' Betterment League and the lady from Fyodor Dostoevsky's novel. Yes, would that we'd become more and more like Lewis's character, which is to say, would that we become more and more like Christ, disciples from whom the fruits of the Spirit flow daily from the inside out, thereby helping all of those around us to always become more fully themselves. Amen.